Hello, this is the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast, and I'm your host, Jill Weber. Well, I'm here today in, where am I, Stanford, La Hope, Sussex, or Thurrock, right? Yep, Stanford, La Hope, in Thurrock, in Essex, in the east of England. East of England, and I'm here with Andy Griffiths. Andy uh, has been a, a vicar for 12 years with the Church of England, and, and now he trains ministers for the C of E as well here in, in England. And um, and I would say just a, a wonderful explorer in, uh, of, of Zinzendorf's theology, been to Hernhut and dug around and has been trying to live into that legacy for quite a number of years. Phil is, is uh, Phil's our legendary Phil. He's, he's the author of Lord of the Ring and um, has been a member of the order right from the beginning with our well, not since 1716, but right in the, in the no, latest... Be getting on a bit by now. <laughs> yeah, getting on a bit. <laughs> but in the last 13 years, has been living into kind of this way of Jesus with, with a bunch of us in the, the 24-7 movement. And this is a, this is a, a week where we remember um, just a really exciting date in the life of uh, Zinzendorf and the Moravians. Um, so August the 13th, 1727. So who's going to take us into the story? Phil. So I'll, I'll make a start. I mean, the, this, this event was in many ways. It was the birth of the 100 years of prayer. It was the birth of the Moravian renewal, which is this incredible story in church history. It was also the point where Zinzendorf's mustard seed vow that he'd taken as, as a young man really started to, to bear the fruit and to be manifest in, in terms of sort of outward expression. Um, to really get what it's all about, you have to go backwards a little bit. Sure. Um, when I'm talking to people about dates, it's always worth remembering Zinzendorf was born in the year 1700. So whatever year people chuck at you, that's his age. So 1727, he was 27. Um, so go back to 1716, 1718. Zinzendorf and a group of school friends, they come up with this idea of a covenant order where they're going to commit themselves to what was basically a 16-year-old version of being true to Christ, kind to people, and taking to the gospel to the nations, which were all pretty radical ideas in their day. Um, they make this solemn commitment amongst themselves that they're going to try and do this in whatever areas of life they find themselves involved with. And then Zinzendorf, he goes off for his university education. He goes off on what was effectively, a, it's called the Vondayar. It was basically um, the 17th, 18th century version of a gap year. Um, he, he, <laughs> you, you kind of did the grand tour around Europe and saw the sights, got yourself a bit cultured all that sort of thing. And um, at the end of that, he thinks, and th then he, he gets a, a job as a kind of junior lawyer in the court of the King of Saxony. But he's, he's trying to think, um, okay, how am I going to live out this commitment that I've made to be true to Christ, to be kind to people, to take the gospel to the nations? And um, because he's from the highest echelons of a very structured society, you have nobility and you have tradespeople and you have professionals and you have peasants and you know every, so he, he's sort of the posh of the posh he, he, upper class he is very much the upper class end of things because of that there's money available in the family there's almost this expectation that you'll have your life in the court and your life on your country estate but rather than just indulging in that as most of his generation would have done he thinks okay i'm expected to be the kind of lord of the manor the kind of manor that i'm going to have will not be a place that's built for sort of architectural elegance or my own importance or my social status i'm going to try and build some kind of model christian community here so he start um, in his estate at berthelsdorf um, in saxony in germany 
Um, he starts the steps, so he brings in a pastor who sort of shares his values, shares his ideas, um, tries to start building up the church that's on the estate and starts thinking of how could I create a community that looks like what I think a community of Christians in my day and age ought to look like. Um, it all gets slightly disrupted by a group of refugees from Moravia in the modern-day Czech Republic who arrive having been persecuted and say, can we settle? And we actually read that Zinzendorf specifically thinks... Um, I really wasn't sure who they were. I wasn't sure what their credentials were. I didn't know if they were going to upset all of my plans, but I felt compelled as a knight of the order of the mustard seed. That's his own words. Um, I had to receive them. If, if being kind to people means anything, it means being kind to these people who have nothing. So he allows them to settle by the main road just up the hill. Um, that they, There's this kind of almost prophecy release that the, 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 the hill is going to be a place where the Lord's watch, which in German is the Herren Hut, Okay. Um, is, is going to be kept both day and night. And so somebody randomly comes up, prophesies this and moves on almost. But um, <laughs> the, the, the community gets the name Herrenhut as a result. Um, and to be honest, so this is Zinzendorf now in his early mid-twenties. Um, he's the kind of lord of the manor, a bit immature. And to be honest, things aren't going desperately well. So it's word soon... So what's, what's not going well? What's the problem? So word soon gets around that on this German, German nobleman's estate, there's a place of refuge for persecuted Protestants. And he starts attracting this whole thing of, you know, genuinely persecuted refugees, misfits, cranks, people who've been chucked out of other settings for pretty good reasons, to be honest. That sounds uh, like David and the guys in the cave of Abdullah, doesn't it? It pretty much does, yeah. And actually you sense some of that gift of leadership in uniting this group of quite broken people, refugees, misfits in Zinzendorf. But anyway, initially they get together, they, they drag themselves up out of sort of grinding poverty. It moves from being a refugee camp to being a village. And they start falling out with each other. They all come from different backgrounds, slightly different beliefs. These Moravians actually are quite flexible in terms of doctrine, but you can only push them so far. And um, they all start falling out with each other. Um, there's a guy comes into the middle of that who is a very charismatic, but really into division and factions, has them all divided. They're all fighting and arguing with each other. Zinzendorf's pastor won't have anything to do with them. Um, he's telling his villagers to stay away from the fanatics up on the hill. Um, it, it all seems so to it's be going... It's a mess. It's, 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 a, it's a mess. And it is a million miles away from the kind of Christian community that he had this vision as a 23-year-old that he wanted to build. Um, but actually, he does something really brave. So rather than um, getting rid of them, which it would have been in his right to do, he, he moves his, young, his wife and his young family into the guest house right in the middle of the middle of the village of Herrenhut. So, so he moves into the mess? He moves right into the middle of the mess. Now the idea of the nobleman moving out of the manor house and into the middle of the mess is almost un unheard of. But um, he starts to bring some leadership, starts to bring some modelling into this. And out of that comes a remarkable season where things start to change, Andy. So on the 13th of August, 1727, this ragtag group of refugees who can't get on with each other, um, who don't know what they're doing, get together for a communion service. So they just on their own, or Zinzendorf kind of dragged them into the space and... Well, I, I, I guess he's been exerting a bit of pressure on them. We're, we're not entirely sure. But, but one way or another, they're together and they're worshipping God and they're um, told us they would be in a service of that time to prepare their hearts to meet with Jesus. And that's when it strikes them they cannot go on living like this in division. 
Um, and so there were two things that seemed to happen at that point. One is that the presence of Jesus comes in the community in a way that is so tangible that somebody talking about it later said, Jesus felt so close that it felt impossible he could have been anywhere else on the planet except here with us. That's how close Jesus felt to them. Um, they were all um, meeting uh, for their service of communion, but there were a couple of people in the community who were out in the fields nearby. They didn't know that the communion service was happening, so they just carried on with uh, doing whatever farmers do. I'm a townie, I don't know. Um, but the presence of Jesus came so strongly on Hernhut that they became aware of Jesus close to them out there on the field. At so the same time. At the same time. Yeah. So that's the, 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 the presence of Jesus. Um, and then the second thing that um, happened was an extraordinary joy. Um, Zinzendorf, writing about it, said that Jesus turned their misery into the oil of gladness and assured them that he would be their pastor their, excuse me, he would be their patron and their priest. And he goes on to say, and into the happiness which they felt at that moment, they have since drawn many thousands of others. Um, he had that sense that that joy that comes from knowing that Jesus is their patron and priest was the thing that made all the difference to their lives. And then, of course, what came out of that was um, the hundred years of prayer that Phil's mentioned. And the sending of that group of people now as a unified missionary force all over the world. So there was this, there was a service, they're laying their hearts towards Jesus, inviting Jesus to come. And he manifests his presence in, in, in a way in their midst that changes everything. They were confessing their division, and that was the thing. It was at that moment that Jesus chose to come and be present. And of course, if you and I don't get on, we could um, find all sorts of ways to find a sort of compromise solution between us, but much better if we both admit that we're wrong and let Jesus come, and then somehow all of our divisions uh, can be seen in perspective and we discover that what we're both interested in is Jesus anyway. Mm -hmm. Came right to the centre. Do you have anything you want to add to that, Phil? Yeah, it's amazing how when our hearts are in the right place, we do all we can to try and get ourselves to where we know we ought to be in Christ. But actually it's only the coming of the Holy mm. Spirit that completes that work of transformation. So Zinzendorf had done his best in that time in the run-up to this. Um, he, he put in place a, a thing called the Man Manorial Injunctions and Prohibitions, I think it was, which is basically a set of civic rules that, was that basically put a swift stop to the worst of the bad behaviour that was going on. Beyond that, they had a thing called the Brotherly Agreement and Compact, which was a much more spiritual set of, this is what a Christian community should look like. Can we at least commit together to try and aspire towards that? And again, people signed up towards that. And they actually spent quite a lot of time together studying um, John's first letter, and, you know, John very much the apostle of love, 
the deliberate point was how do you love one another? So they've come to this point of, I suppose there was a degree of repentance there, there was a desire to change, but they still in their hearts knew themselves to be divided. There was a lot of bitterness, there was a lot of old hurts and that kind of thing. And 13th of August, 1727, was almost about, they'd shown their hunger for reconciliation, they'd shown a willingness to change, but actually they knew it had to be more than a change of attitudes or even behaviour, it had to be a change of heart. And what they could not achieve, there was this just this sense of the presence of Christ coming, the Holy Spirit filling that place, the parish church in Berthelsdorf, and God just working the change deep within their hearts as a, an incredibly deep and personal experience, which they'd reached out towards, but only the presence of God could actually affect and do in their lives. So tell us the ripples. So that was, if that was the stone hitting the water, we see the hundred years of night and day prayer. As you said, we see this, this mission movement of lay missionaries, right, going forth. Um, how, exactly. how the ripples so, continue? So these weren't the first missionaries in the modern world who'd ever been sent out. But the difference was now it was entire communities that were being sent, um, not just sort of specially trained uh, clergy and uh, perhaps their wives. Now it was at one time 50 people being sent to uh, bring about new Christian communities across so the world. So regular ordinary people? Ordinary people, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Ordinary people who'd had this experience of Jesus having come in a way only he could choose to do. Mm-hmm. And, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but in terms of the actual Moravian denomination, the Moravian church, do they not set this day as a sort of a, a start date for, for them? Is, am I, do I remember that Yeah, correctly? I mean, it, it, it's a renewal, of course, because you could go back and see the, the Moravian, Moravian church as coming from, from something sort of several hundred years before that. But no, this is, this is a renewal and a new start. Uh, and now there are um, three quarters of a million, we're not quite sure, but let's say about three quarters of a million Moravians across the world. And I suspect all of them will on August the 13th have had this thought that, yeah, today happened a thing that set into motion a chain of events that led to me being where I am now. So we can learn from that, I guess... Um I mean, there's a few things that we can pull, threads that we can pull from that story. I think with Zinzendorf moving into the mess, right? And so when we see the mess, when we see the conflict, when we see the division, probably none of you in any of your communities have never experienced or seen conflict <laughs> and division and mess, but just in case we ever should. <laughs> there's that, you know, the temptation, of course, is to pull away from conflict, is to pull exactly. away from the mess that inevitably comes... You know, where, where two or more are gathered, there's mess, right? This is, this is the story of the Christian community over the yep. history of, you know, the faith. Um, but what we see in, in this story, where two or more are gathered, in humility, in repentance, when we move towards the mess and we invite him to come, then he comes and does what only he can do. So this, you know, we learn from that, that story and... and and I think the other thing that, that we learned from the story, it's coming together, um, moving towards the mess, but with humility and dependence and in the posture of, 
repentance and just saying, we, we actually can't figure this out ourselves. We need you to come and do something that we can't do. What else, what else do we uh, learn from this? And story? there's something special about the action of God with refugees. So on the 13th of August, there are those who act not only in, in prayer and remembering, um, but in doing something about the refugee crisis that our world is seeing at the moment. So 13th of August 2018, for a group of us in Chelmsford, what we did was we did up a house that um, uh, we were given the keys on the 13th of August by the estate agent, and uh, we... Uh, uh, found a local church that would um, find its members to, to give us some furniture and we scrubbed a few walls and uh, cleaned uh, um, a few corners of rooms and bought some uh, food to fill the fridge and got a freezer operating and tried to do a little bit to the garden and put flowers everywhere mm -hmm. and then the following morning the 14th um, one of us uh, drove to the airport to pick up a family from Afghanistan they'd been uh, traveling for 48 hours um, including uh, some uh, uh, some children who uh, hadn't slept in a bed for a number of days and they were driven to that house the door was opened and they were told you are safe now this is if you want it your forever home here in the UK there's a whole community of people who will support you help you learn English help you do the paperwork find school places for your children um, but we care about you and this door is open for you mm. um, and there's lots of ways to commemorate the 13th of August but that seems to me a pretty good one Wonderful. Good. So I'm wondering if, if just in our last two minutes or three minutes here, the two of you can pray for those who be listening to this podcast. So with, that'll be the members of the order, people who are interested in the Order of the Mustard Seed, candidates who are in preparation for taking their vows. So, so what out of this celebration of this historical moment that's changed the course of history and church history, certainly, and, and the lives of so many? How can we pray out of this story into the lives of, of our listeners? So I'll leave it to you to pray. Come, holy God, <laughs> fill the hearts of your people. Kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we will be recreated and you will restore the face of the earth. Holy God, you have never given up on your plan for salvation. You are the one who hung on that cross for us and you're the one who has been reaching out to every generation, to every people, to every nation since then. Thank you that we stand in an incredible line of salvation history 
and we look back 300 years at a group of people whose desire to be true to you are fresh in their generation, to be kind to people and love their neighbour and love their enemies are fresh in their generation, to take the gospel to nations who had simply never heard in their generation. And we see in that a continuity of your great commandment and your great commission to your first disciples to go. And we sense ourselves standing in that continuity. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us ways to reach out to you, ways to lay our lives before you, ways to call on you, saying, Lord Jesus, please take me as your disciple and please disciple me in what it means to follow you more more nearly and to, to hear your voice and to see your face. But Lord Jesus, we know that ways of discipleship are not enough. We need your power and your very presence to come and fall in our lives and in our communities and in our nations. So just as they came to that date on the 13th of August, 1727, in repentance, in having reached out for a new start and an eager expectation of what they dared to believe you might possibly do, we come with that same sense of expectation, saying, come, Lord Jesus, fill our lives afresh, fill our communities afresh, fill our nations afresh, do more than we could ask or imagine. Come and take our feeble willingness and transform it by your presence in order that we might be filled afresh with a burning desire and with the strength to follow you every day of our life and make you known to men and women in every part of this earth to reveal Christ in our time and in our generation. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast. For more information about the Order, you can find us at orderofthemustardseed.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. May God grant us grace as we follow his invitations to be true and to be kind and to go.